0: Wonderful to be here tonight, and I'm grateful for the opportunity to be able to be back at our home church, and uh, thank the Lord for that day when we'll be able to lay our cross down and uh, trade it for our crown. But until then, we must bear our cross and take the gospel to the regions beyond, and I'm grateful tonight for all that the church has done uh, for the Rock of Ages ministry today, and I would just want to say thank you for all the offerings and uh, for all the banks and everything that you've done to help us. Uh, please continue to pray as we press forward with our uh, missionary advance preparation. And then also if you would continue to pray uh, for the Rock of Ages Ministries. We are praying Claiming Matthew 9, 38. Pray, therefore, the Lord of the harvest that you send forth laborers into his harvest. I'm not saying this just because I am the director of the Rock of Ages Ministries tonight. But I'm saying this because it is the honest of God's truth. Some of the greatest Christians that I've ever met in my life. Some of the most dedicated preachers I've ever met in my life. Some of the most consecrated men of God and families that I've ever met in my 40, almost 42 years of Christian experience has been the missionaries with the Rock of Ages Ministries. And I'm grateful for every family uh, that God has given to us, uh, the dedication. Uh, Brother Dunsford mentioned this morning about Brother Gregory. Brother Gregory gave me my first opportunity to preach in Parchman, Mississippi, I thank God Brother Garris wasn't there, the late director of the Rock of Ages Ministries. He might not have accepted me, preacher, as a missionary after that night. But I am grateful for all the folks that God has sent our way. And I want to say tonight, uh, thank you. Thank you for praying for the ministry. Thank you for praying for Peggy and I. I never dreamed many years ago when the Lord saved us that he had ever put us in uh, the midst of a people as great as God's people. And I'm glad that God has brought us to a church that is alive. I believe in the local church authority, pastoral authority, and I'm grateful for our church, and I'm grateful for what the Lord is doing. Let me, if I may, I know you're standing for just a moment, uh, but I want to take just a moment and say thank you tonight. Thank you for everything. For the offerings to our missionary families, for the offering for the paper. Do you realize that the offering will help print conservatively Upwards of uh, f- 400,000 gospel tracts, potentially 450,000 gospel tracts. We taught the soul winning class here a few weeks ago and made a statement about the gospel tracts and literature. A gospel track doesn't need a visa, right. a gospel track does not need a passport, right. a gospel track doesn't need to learn culture. Right. A gospel track is able to uh, cross boundaries without getting special permission. A gospel tract doesn't argue. And a gospel tract's message never changes. The power of a track. I want to share this testimony with you and we'll make our prayer tonight and get into our uh, closing thoughts for the day. But I remember years ago as a young missionary of the Rock of Ages Ministries, Dr. Ed Blue, the founder of the Rock of Ages, gave the testimony of many years ago when the ministry was first established. A group of missionaries was in a prison and passing out gospel tracts. And in that day, We were not allowed back in the death row unit, but those men were out passing out the tracks and some of the prisoners would take them and uh, toss them on the ground here and there, not many but some, and that day in the providence of God, the wind picked up and began to blow, and as the wind began to blow, one of those little gospel tracks made its way to the rotunda area where the officers go in and out of the main units and just inside that unit was another corridor leading down to the segregation unit where the prisoners that are locked and separated from the rest of the uh, prisoners. And in this particular unit was the death row housing unit. And they would not allow the missionaries to go back in that day to this particular unit on death row. But God in his providence allowed the wind to blow that day. And as the wind was open, the gust of wind would push that little track further down the corridor until it found its way underneath the death row housing unit entrance door, and finally, eventually, it fell just underneath the uh, crack in the bottom of a death row inmate's door. He saw the piece of paper, took his fingers, fished it underneath the cell door. He read it, got converted to Christ, and was saved. He wrote Brother Blue and uh, said, They wouldn't allow you back here, but thank God he got the gospel message back here, and I got saved and converted to Christ. There's no telling what the Lord will do with upwards of almost a half a million tracks that will flood across the United States and around the world. Please join with us in prayer as these tracks go out, and we look forward to the day when you can stop by and visit with us at the Rock of Ages. One other thing I would like to mention tonight, and uh, it is great, Miss Bridget, I'm not sure where her and Brother John and TJ's at tonight, TJ's up here, but um, Miss Bridget, where are you at? Would you and John, John, you're taller, would you raise your hand? The way back in the back, and I appreciate them. Miss Bridget's been working at the Rock of Ages for many years, and I'm not sure the exact years. I believe it's upwards of 18 years or more, Miss Bridget. Oh, 20, all right. Upwards of 20 years, and I'm grateful for Miss Bridget, Brother John, and then TJ. And then also, we have Miss Glenda Klinger with us. Miss Glenda, if you'd raise your hand over there, and we have Miss Glenda. Then also, good to have Miss Tricia with us tonight, and uh, then also Brother Klinger. And uh, Miss Tricia also served as our first missionary intern uh, in the country of the Philippines, and we're grateful for her and good to have them with us tonight. Uh, if you've got your Bible, let's go to where we left off this morning the New Testament. We'll go to the Gospel of John, and uh, we'll go back to our text in John chapter 4. And we'll read one verse, verse number 35. Let me, if I may, take just a moment tonight while we're reading and uh, invite you to our national conference. Uh, That'll be July the 29th through August the 2nd at the 11th Avenue Baptist Church in Dalton, Georgia. And uh, please join with us in prayer where that's concerned. Of course... Um, you're welcome to come, but not on the 29th. You say, why? That's on a Sunday, and we need to be found in our place. And uh, so beginning July the 30th, please join in with us at the National Conference at the 11th Avenue Baptist Church with Pastor Guffey there in Dalton, Georgia. Notice in our Bibles tonight, if you would please, uh, one verse of Scripture. Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already. To harvest. Father, as we bow before you tonight, we thank you for the day that you've given to us for all the blessings that this church has bestowed upon our missionary families and the Rock of Ages ministries. And Father, I know that people have sacrificed tremendously to help with fill the banks and to help with our uh, next step project. And I pray, our Father, that you may bless and Lord, that you'll get the glory and honor out of everything that's done with our missionary advancement program, our MIT program, and then our Father, with the printing and the publication of the gospel tracts and literature, I pray, Lord, that you'll use it for your glory and honor. May many souls be saved and converted to Christ. Lord, that much fruit will be laid up in heaven on behalf of our church. Bless, I pray tonight, and may you meet with us, do your work in our midst. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated tonight. I'll not be long tonight, but I would like to finish where we left off this morning. We looked and examined the apathy of the hour, and we found how Jesus had drawn uh, the disciples to the realization of the urgency of the hour. And we saw that their uh, eyes were lifted up and to look on the fields that were white, already ready to harvest. And then we saw the, uh, the urgency of the hour, And Jesus is dealing with the disciples and trying to get them to realize that uh, there is no place in the Christian life for an apathetic or a complacent spirit. I thank God that the Lord has put us in a church that has some life, some vibrance, some spirits, and a spirit of the presence and the power of God. And as we have traveled across our nation and as the Lord has allowed us to be in uh, churches across America, if you do any traveling at all, I thank God for great churches that we still have on American soil. But you don't have to uh, travel too far and too broad or too wide to realize that America is in trouble tonight. And we need to understand the urgency of the hour. As we look at the passage of Scripture, in the closing Gospel of Mark, or Matthew, we find what's known as the Great Commission. And uh, the Great Commission is a part of what I believe that Christ is trying to get the disciples to realize that there is a great harvest of souls. And when Jesus spoke of the, of the fields that were widened to harvest, I believe that there were literally a fields that are on the verge of rotting and fields that are on the verge of being lost and fields that were on the verge of being wasted because of a lack of labors to bring the harvest in. But also I believe that he was using it as a symbolic meaning as the Samaritans were coming out of the city and as the disciples arose arrived at the exact same moment when this lady who had met Christ in his divine providence and when the uh, spiritual scales had fallen from her blinded eyes and she was converted to Christ and went back into the city and said, Come see a man that told me all that ever I did. Is not this the Christ and as the disciples merge on the scene they look up and there comes all the Samaritans and uh, Jesus gives this analogy and he begins to try to shock them into reality and may I say to you tonight that we need a shock treatment in our generation in our uh, churches to lift up our eyes and look on the fields that are white already to harvest there was a, a Dutch missionary by the name of Wells who uh, coined the phrase Great Commission from uh, the Gospel of Matthew. And then about 200 years later, a missionary by the name of Hudson Taylor would pick this uh, phrase up and really thrust it into the limelight. And that phrase would become, as you and I know it today, the urgency of the Great Commission in getting the Gospel of Jesus Christ to the regions of the world. I wrote down some statistics and I don't want to bore you tonight with the stats, but I believe they fit here tonight with the urgency of the hour. And uh, notice with me tonight some of the things that I, uh, the research that I did for this uh, services today. And uh, from 1804 to 1930, or 126 years, it took the population of the world to grow from 1 billion people to 2 billion. In other words, it took 126 years for the population of the earth to double from 1 billion to 2 billion people. And then from 1930 to 1960, the earth grew from 2 billion to 3 billion residents, or 30 years. So it took the first 126 years to double from the first billion to the second billion. And then only 30 years to go from 2 billion to 3 billion people. And then from 1960 to 1974, only 14 years later, the Earth's population grew from 3 billion to 4 billion. And then from 1974 to 1987, only 13 years later, the earth grew from 4 billion to 5 billion residents. And then from 1987 to 1999, only 12 years later, the earth's population grew from 5 billion to 6 billion residents. And then from 1999 to 2011, only 12 years later again, the earth's population went from 6 billion to 7 billion residents. And from uh, 2011 to uh, this morning, the earth's population up to this and in, in 2018 up until today has already grown to 7.6 billion people that live on the planet earth. And it is estimated, according to world uh, population uh, counters, that by 2023, the Earth's population will surpass 8 billion residents. By 2055, it is projected that the Earth's population will supersede 10 billion residents living on the planet Earth. And in the process of all this time, missionaries are not increasing, missionaries are decreasing. In fact, if I may set it in perspective for us tonight to stress the urgency of the hour, I mentioned this morning that since the beginning of this year, up until this morning's hour of our service, That over 16 and a half million people have died on the planet Earth. And in order for us to have reached those 16 and a half million with the gospel of Christ, we would have had to have reached two souls per second. From the beginning of this year until this morning in order to reach that 16 and with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And yet statistically over 90 something percent of them died and slipped out into an eternity and they will live in hell forever and ever and ever. But may I set it in perspective tonight of the billion that currently live on the planet Earth. In order for us to reach the 7.6 billion people currently that live on the planet Earth, we would have to reach one soul every second for 243 years. Soul would have to be saved every second for 243 years to reach the current 7.6 billion people that live on the planet Earth. But when you take into consideration the projected growth of our world during that time, it would take us upwards of 300 years. every second reaching a soul for Christ. And May I say to you, my friend, we don't even come close to reaching that many with the gospel of Jesus Christ in all the nations of the world put together. The multitudes die without Christ. And the disciples had come in. They were more interested in bread than souls. And Jesus had uh, opened the eyes of the Samaritan woman. She had gone back into the city and came back with a multitude to introduce them to the Savior that she had met. And the disciples lift up and they see the crowd. And then the text, and I'll not take time to get into it, they're trying to press upon the Savior to eat and they said to themselves has he meat to eat that we know not of it's not that my friend he was just about his father's business for hitherto had he come to seek and to save that which was lost Thank God for Calvary. Thank God for the shed blood of Christ on the cross of Calvary. Thank God for salvation. Aren't you glad that Jesus doesn't take a vacation? He doesn't take time out to feast and banquet. That'll come one day at the marriage supper of the Lamb. But right now he's in the business of saving sinners of whom Paul said, I am chief. May I say to you the urgency of the hour is current. Listen to some of the statistics dealing with the populations of the world. By region, Asia is the largest populated region of our planet, having over 4 billion or 4.5 billion residents. We find that they make up the majority of the Earth's population. If I remember correctly, it's upward of 47% of the Earth's population lives uh, in that Asian area. Africa is the second largest region of the planet with almost 1.3 billion residents. Europe is the uh, third largest region with over three-quarter of, a million, uh, uh, three-quarter of a billion residents. Latin America and the Caribbean with over 652 million residents in that region. North America with over 363 million. And the ocean area with over 41 million residents. China has 1.4 billion residents. India itself is the second largest populated mission field on the planet Earth with 1.354 billion residents. In fact, uh, China is the largest populated mission field of the world, and close behind it is India. And India currently is only 61 million residents behind China, and it's projected in the next few years that India will surpass China and become the largest mission field on the planet Earth thirdly is the united states of america with 326 million residents and may i say something here tonight and I'm not trying to correct or anything. I I believe in home missions and foreign missions, and I understand the principles behind it, and I use America as a home mission because it is a home mission. This is where I live and where I have my home and our ministry, and, and it's a part of the location geographically that God's called us to, along with the rest of the world. But may I remind you, biblically speaking, that the home front of missions was in Jerusalem. The gospel was to go forth beginning at Jerusalem. May I submit to you from a biblical perspective and biblical teaching in theology that America is a foreign field. And we are in great need of the gospel in the United States of America. It's been only in the recent years that uh, there was a city in the state of California with upwards of 800,000 residents, almost 1 million residents. And there was not one single church in the city limits of that city that had a gospel preaching ability to give the gospel to the lost and dying of that city. And it's only been in recent days or years so Dr. Treber and the Golden State Baptist a College and the folks there have been able, by the grace of God, to start a ministry in that city. And part of the reason is because a small storefront section starts of the monthly rental at about seven to eight thousand dollars a month. And most Baptists can't afford it. Fourth. Behind China, India, and the United States is Indonesia with 266 million residents. And then Brazil is the fifth largest nation of the world with 210 million residents. These nations that I've mentioned tonight are. Are these five? They total just these five alone, right at uh, 46.8% of the world's population, and five of the largest nations on the planet Earth. And yet I say to you, my friend, tonight, there are not too many missionaries knocking the doors down to go to China or India or even the blessed United States of America or Indonesia or Brazil or Guatemala or Haiti or, or any other nation on the planet earth where the gospel of Christ needs to be preached. Jesus said, lift up your eyes and look on the fields so for they're white all ready to harvest. That means God has the fields prepared. The hearts are ripe and ready. And I'll not take the time, but if you read in the context of our Scripture and go to the book of Acts, I believe it's in Acts chapter 17, you'll find the Samaritans and multitudes were saved and converted to Christ. And it started with Christ opening the blinded eyes of the Samaritan woman, an idolater. My friend, it doesn't take but one to be converted to Christ, to get excited and zealous for God, I've seen it in churches across our nation. I've seen it in uh, missions organizations. I've seen it in our own lives. All it takes is one to get the vision, to get the burden, to understand the urgency of the hour in order to make a difference in our world for Christ. Just today, over 244,000 people was birthed on the planet Earth. 101,000 died on the planet Earth. Given an increased population just today of 143,035 people. May I just mention to you tonight without going through excessive details and boring you with stats tonight, that there is an urgency in this hour I was thinking about the gospel tracts and what Brother Roth had shared about the Wiccan. I remember many years ago when Brother Gregory's here tonight and has been to the institution on numerous occasions and also has uh, Dr. Dunster had been with us many years ago where I served as a missionary chaplain at the Wyoming State Penitentiary and we would go to the state of South Dakota and we'd work in the Yankton Federal Prison in Yankton, South Dakota and then the South Dakota State Penitentiary in Sioux Falls. And I remember preaching in that meeting. And I remember one year they they had the little chapel packed. It would seat about, if I remember right, 300 or, uh, or, or upwards. And I remember preaching in that chapel service and it was like preaching to a concrete wall. There was no liberty. There didn't seem to be any power. And so you'd stand and preach to the best of your ability. We were giving away a giant print Bible and a Strong's exhaustive concordance to the prisoners who brought the most visitors a uh, first time to our services. And I remember after. A couple of preaching services, two men approached us on the platform and said, Mr. Ellis, let us understand this correctly, and you correct us if we're wrong. You say you'll give that Bible in concordance to the men that bring the most first-time visitors to this revival. Is that correct? I said, yes, sir, you understood it correct. They said, it doesn't matter where you come from, what your religion is, or background. I said, you understand it right. I said, why do you ask anyway? He said, well, I just want you to know, he said, I'm the leader of the Wiccan religion in here. And then also another one spoke up and he said, yes, and I'm over a coven of witches and, and a satanic group inside the institution. And they said, let us make sure we're understanding this correctly. Even if we go out and bring the most first-time visitors to this revival, we'll win that Bible in concordance, and we can take it away from the Christians. Did we understand you right? I said, yes, sir, you understood us correctly. And they went out, and can you imagine how a witch and a Satanist and a devil worshiper going throughout the prison saying, hey, why don't you come to an old-fashioned revival tonight and help me win a Bible? And that's exactly what they did. And they went out. And the last night they won uh, the Bible, one of them, I believe it was the Wiccan. And I said to him, I said, you can have your choice. We normally give the Bible away, but if you want the concordance, he said, no, I'll take the Bible. And the other guy, the satanic leader, he took the concordance. And they laughed because they had taken it from the Christians that were there. And I, God put on my heart and I quoted Hebrews 4, 12, for the word of God is quick and sharper and powerful than any two-edged sword. And I quoted it and I said, now, fellas, when you get back to your room tonight, you better sleep with one eye on that book and one eye closed. And they looked at me like, what do you mean by that? I said, because sure as you close both eyes, the word of God will cut you all to pieces. Boy, the Christians had the last laugh. They laughed. Those guys went out, they were embarrassed. I didn't mean to embarrass them. That wasn't my intent, but I didn't like the rebuke that were given to the Christians. And so that next year we went back in there and I asked the chaplain, I said, chaplain, I said, I got a question for you. I said, those two men last year that won the Bible and the Strong's Concordance, I said, whatever happened with them? He started laughing. He said, Brother Ellis, he said, I'm sorry. I should have called and let you know. He said, that old boy that won that Bible, Said he got back to his cell block and I asked him, I said, when I visited him, I said, why would you want that Bible? He said, well, number one, I wanted to take it away from the Christians. He said, number two, I wanted to study the Bible so I could get knowledge of it and refute all the Christians and argue with them against their doctrine. <laughs> He said, but I, that boy got back in a cell block and he started reading the Bible and he was holding it out through the bars so the lights would shine down the corridor and said he got to reading. And I don't remember the text tonight, but I remembers over there in 1 Peter somewhere and said he got aggravated and he ripped that Bible in half, threw it against the cell wall, went over and laid down on his bunk. He said, I turned this way and couldn't sleep. I turned that way and couldn't sleep. I looked up and couldn't sleep. Finally, I prowled around in my cell block, got half of that Bible, stuck it outside the bars, and there it was on that verse that God had convicted me of to begin with. He said, I got my Bible, half of it, walked over to my cell, laid it on the cell, got down on my knee And I said, oh God, how could you forgive a sinner like me? He said, and I got converted to Christ. He said, I went back out. He said, Brother Ellis, that's not the best of it yet. He said, as far as I know, there's only one other witch and devil left in this whole crowd. All of them got converted to Christ. The power and the urgency of the hour, the powers in the gospel of Christ. May I say to you, there is an urgency of the hour. Upwards of 10 million are incarcerated, locked behind prison bars and cells here in America and around the world. Someone must answer the call. Someone must hear the cry of the prisoner. Come over and preach unto us, come over and help us. The urgency of the hour. Then notice, last but not least, and I'll be done. I didn't mean to keep you this long. I'm sorry, I can't help it. I just got preaching preach in me tonight. Notice, if you would please, last but not least, the opportunity of the hour. Notice the Bible says in verse number 36 and verse number 38, and I'll briefly read only a brief quote. Both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. You are entered into their labors. You can be a sower or you can be a reaper. But my friend, you cannot be one to stand by on the sidelines without being rebellious against God. And I want to be careful here tonight. I rarely say anything about souls saved because people look at you like, you got to be kidding me. You really, you really believe that many souls are converted to Christ? You know what the problem is? You know what the problem with is with that statement? It shows our lack of faith and believing that God's able to save the multitudes. I remember preaching in Ghana, the first time I ever went over there, and Brother Ricky, I remember I uh, preaching and giving the invitation. When we gave the invitation, it was in an all-girls school of over a 1,000. They were literally, the auditorium was packed. They were lined up on the outside with the windows open, students and faculty, and the staff was there. And we gave the invitation, and so many of those young ladies stood up. I thought to myself, there is absolutely no way they understood the message. And so we asked them to be seated. I summarized the message. I asked Mother Chamberlain to come and take the invitation Uh, He was overseeing the country at the time and I went over and bowed on my knees and prayed and we'd ask him to stand a second time. And when they stood a second time after clarifying the invitation and the gospel message, there were more stood up than there was on the first go-around. And if I remember right that night, over 368 came forward to receive Christ as her personal Savior. And someone says, Brother Ellis, how many of them really got saved? I can tell you exactly how many of them got saved. Every single one that God saved, God saved. The problem is we don't believe God can do that anymore. Peter stood and preached and 3,000 were saved. A second sermon and 5,000 were saved. I'd say that's some pretty powerful preaching, Peter, when you preach two times and 8,000 souls converted to Christ. I was in a meeting some years ago in the state of Wyoming. and A pastor stood or a preacher stood. and He said, bless God, there ain't no way nobody can get saved in less than. And he laid out the time. And he said about the day of Pentecost and that 3,000 that got saved, he said, there ain't no way they got saved in one day. He said they couldn't have got saved in less than, I believe he said, 15 minutes. And I just happened to have my calculator on my smartphone. That is smarter than I am. And so I began to do some calculations. Do you know, according to what he said, 24 hours a day, it had taken over 30-something days for them to have been converted to Christ? Now, I don't know about you, but I believe I'll believe my Bible over an evangelist and a preacher who don't believe God. And I'm not trying to be hateful or controversial tonight. I'm just simply saying that we don't believe that God's able to do it anymore. But He came to seek and to save that which was lost. And so we find the opportunities. We have opportunity to see souls saved and God has given us the ability to see 10 saved here and 2 saved there and 100 saved over here and 500 over here and a few hundred over here and when the end of the year is all said and done uh, the last couple of years God's given us from 48,000 to fifty-three, fifty-four thousand 54,000 souls saved in a year and it's not that they all come in one service but it's a missionary doing his part over here and over there and in this prison and that prison and this jail and that nation and that country and in that church Church and in that ministry that God's open just being faithful day by day and collectively God lets us see the fruit brought forth for his glory and honor that he sees. If I got the figures right and I don't keep up with all this. People ask me about it sometimes and uh, sometimes I carry the stats with me and sometimes I don't. Most time I don't. But 800,881 Souls have been saved since the founding of the Rock of Ages ministries. We're approaching one million souls for Christ. I say that not to brag of us. One million may sound like a lot to you, but to me, when you consider 7.6 billion, it's not even a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of 1% of the world's population. Do you believe God's able? We need help at Rock of Ages ministry. We need someone to lift up and see the urgency of the hour, to rise from their apathy and see the opportunities to reach into the schools of America, to reach into the schools of the world, to reach into the prisons and the jails and the churches and make a difference in our world for the cause of Christ. I wonder who's here tonight that could help us reach that 110,000 or so to push us to that one million mark to help us reach a million souls for Christ. You've heard it said on numerous occasions. When life will soon be passed and only what's done for Christ will last. Come go with us, serve as a chaplain, serve as a revival team coordinator, serve with our discipleship institute, serve with our youth ministry, serve with our church planning assistants. Help to send the light to those who sat in spiritual darkness. Onesimus was converted to Christ by the Apostle Paul. And I did a study years ago when little mentioned names in the Bible And I studied Onesimus and found that some years after the Apostle Paul had written to Philemon concerning Onesimus, it was years later a preacher was passing through Ephesus and he found a pastor by the name of Onesimus. He said he used to be unprofitable, but now he's profitable. There are Onesimuses out there. There are Peters and Johns and Matthews and, and there are uh, Hudson Taylors and David Livingstons and there are uh, David Ross and Dr. Ricky Dunsard's and there are uh, men of God and Dr. Steve Gregories and there are Pastor Ricky Gravleys and Dr. Graveleys. There are those sitting here tonight that God would put his hand on and call you and you and you into the ministry to reach souls for Christ. Yes. Oh, where is the one that will stand up tonight and say, sign me up. I'll take charge of the opportunities that God's given. I want to close tonight. But as I thought about the supplies and all that the church has done today for the Rock of Ages Ministries, I thought about a missionary gardener And he had gotten a missionary team together and they had gone to an island to reach the heathen with the gospel of Christ. the churches of England had come together and they had agreed that they would laden a ship and send it with missionary Gardner and his team. If I remember correctly, there were seven of them that went together. And at the end of six months, they would send another ship with the second supplies but the church got busy and they forgot about the second shipment. Mr. Gardner and his missionary team gathered by the shores of the island and they waited and they waited and they waited. And as they sat there, if we can go ahead and come to the instruments, I'm going to try to close here. As they waited one by one, they began to die of starvation. Mr. Gardner was the last one to die of the group, and he wrote in in his journal, I never regret having given my life to reach the heathen with the gospel of Christ. After a while, the church remembered that they were to send a second wave of supplies for the missionary endeavor. By the time they got to the island, all they found was skeletal remains of the missionary team and the journal of Mr. Gardner. the church had forgot about the missionary. Church tonight, I want to say thank you for not forgetting about your missionary. Thank you for not forgetting about reaching souls with the gospel of Christ. Thank you for everything you've done today. $10,044, if I remember right, the figures preacher gave us. But could I say to you, that's today. Tomorrow's coming. Take advantage of every opportunity. God gives. We need you. Pray for us. Go with us. Come on board with us. There's a call comes ringing over the restless wave. Send the light. Send the light. Fathers, we bow before you this evening. I pray you'll take these words, use them to challenge your hearts tonight. And I pray for that one that sits in the darkness of a prison cell somewhere in America and on foreign soil. For that young man or young lady that'll sit in a classroom tomorrow that has already contemplated suicide, already contemplated their life is wrecked and ruined and they have no tomorrow. Father, for that one that sits on death row waiting for the day when the executioner will come and deliver them to death. Our Father, help us tonight to arise from the apathy of the hour. Help us to realize the urgency of the hour and take advantage of the opportunity of the hour. We ask it in Christ's name. Preacher.